Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Uh, continuing to just have some incredible guests on the show. I've been so blessed with uh, with just the people that have been willing to come on lately, and, and that streak continues today. We have Glenn Wheeler, who is the executive chef at Spencer's for Steak and Chops. He's a member of the Omaha Restaurant Hall of Fame, and I'm going to go as far to say he's one of Omaha's culinary pillars. He has touched so many in the restaurant industry. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to the show today. Well, thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is your I'm pleasure. This is this is my pleasure. Um, now we've been we've been coordinating this for a couple of weeks now. We've been trying to you know get this time scheduled and everything. Unfortunately, obviously, anyone who's listening to this knows that the world is forever changing, and you know, coronavirus has just altered so many things about about life unfortunately and and that's something that we're dealing with right now but I want to bring that up to start off the interview because how you responded specifically to this situation is incredible to me so a lot of restaurants when when the coronavirus hit a lot of restaurants you know really had to pivot they had to decide whether they were going to you know, do a curbside takeout, whether they were going to do delivery. There were some restaurants who weren't weren't prepared or weren't able to do one of those things, and, and they have temporarily closed their doors for the time being. Spencer's is one of those restaurants. So you guys temporarily close on March 16th, and then, like, the very next day on your Facebook, you were posting things about, all right, hey, Omaha restaurants, I'm gathering food to try and donate to the needy, donate to the hungry. I just I thought that was so inspiring because I've been I've I've been out of work before. I've been laid off before and I know my first reaction the next day is not to help other people. It's usually to 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 wallow in self-pity and and or maybe job hunt or whatever it might be, but you were immediately thinking about others. Just where did that spirit come from and and how are you able to find the strength to do that immediately? Well, I've been Part and participating in in charity and um, other I you know other events for years, helping the needy, um, different organizations, different charities, what have you. Mm-hmm. So I mean, kind of in my soul. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's just kind of uh, I guess a survival instinct. Um, you know, as a chef, and this is what we do: we feed people. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what makes us tick. What makes us happy? We feed people. We want to see people happy. We want to see people fed well. So, um, you know, it just kind of kicks in. We've got a lot of products. We had products that we could not freeze. What have you? Perishable products. I know other places that were closing down. They had stuff to stuff to use up um you know we can send it to the pantry um to the food bank uh the different pantries which uh, a lot of people did that partially and we also did too um but then you know then you start thinking about um i just know where the need i know there's a, a big need downtown um i worked down there for many years and i kind of see it and know you know, that it's, it, it's there, it's present. So I said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to feed. My first thought was, was, you know, school kids. Mm-hmm. I said, so you know, we're going to, we're going to start, you know, we're going to see if any kids, uh, any families contact me and need, um, food for their children and stuff, which I did get contacted by, um, a good number, number of, uh, parents, what have you, that they would like to uh, get some food for their children. Um, Then you start thinking about the elderly or just the people in need, the families, because for the years past, I've done at Thanksgiving and Christmas time, I've done dinners for needy families just as as a personal give back thing for myself to to the community. Mm -hmm. So I know every time I do that, and with social media, um, it's very easy to do. You put it out there and then you just, 
await for the private messages to start coming in. And the bad thing about it is there's there's twofold to that. Um, you know, you feel good about being able to help somebody. That's the good side. But the bad side is that you have to hear the situation that a lot of these people are in. And I've heard some pretty bad situations over the years. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's definitely a, just a need for it. So we started off with that. Then Nick Bartholomew from Overeasy called me and said, look, I see what you're doing. He said, well, we kind of partner up, use the dandelion space, um, promote this, see what else, what other food stuffs we can get. And, um, you know, do a feed for the homeless and stuff. That was the first idea, but I, I had gotten a lot of donations from people. Um, actually more than I could handle. I had to turn down some and tell them to call Saving Grace or take to the food bank or, um, Sienna Francis house, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, well, Nick, I said, you know, there's a lot of wait staff, a lot of cooks out, out, out of work. And, uh, you know, a lot of them live in the midtown and downtown area. I said, so let's open it up to out of work industry people. And, uh, you know, whoever really needs to come by and get a meal. So we had, we had a really successful day last Saturday. Um, we probably fed a little bit over 200 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we made a variety of stuff. I, I made, I, I, I had a couple of my cooks uh, come in and help me. I had a couple other local chefs and uh, people that used to work for me, what have you, come in and help me for help me prep and stuff, get everything ready for Saturday. And then uh, we had quite a few volunteers um, on Saturday to go ahead and box everything up and get it down to Dandelion and and make sure that that all went well down there. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. kind of how it all kind of, it, it evolved, it changed just like the news we hear. Yeah. Like every hour this it, something changes about, you know, um, with the virus going on. So the poem kind of changed throughout the week too. You know, I, I kept getting, I'd get this donation or that. And, you know, so I, I just kind of had to work it. I was pretty stressed the end of the week but i'm sure yeah now i want to make something very clear for anyone who's listening here like it you know it would be great if you know this this donation that you were talking about the dandelion pop of if you guys you know made sandwiches or you know made uh you know uh sack lunches or anything like that for people like that would be awesome you guys made ribs you made ahi tuna salads i mean these are the types of meals that these people, honestly, like, they might not get very many of them in their lives. We're talking about homeless people. You mentioned out-of-work restaurant workers, the elderly, people who are at world, um, women's shelters, excuse me. I, I just, I've, I found that so inspiring. And it's just kind of one of one of several stories that I've seen. I know Cops Pizza was another one. They spent um, much of one of their days recently. They, they made, like, 400 pizzas and donated those. I've seen a lot of individuals really at different restaurants going out of their way to raise funds or, you know, take in perishable goods or make donations. How inspiring and cool has it been to kind of see the Omaha restaurant community rally, even in a time where a lot of these chefs and restaurateurs are really hurting and it would be easy for them to be selfish and and think more about their bottom line than about their fellow man. Yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. Um, we have a great restaurant community here, um, as well as across the United States. Um, that's just what the restaurant community does. They give back. They're always there in a time of need. They're, they're there in disasters and, and, and everything. You know, it's always the, the restaurant community responds extremely well in um, adverse conditions and situations. So, but it is, I'm very, very um, touched by the different deeds that I saw. I know uh, Sternella Group, and they did too. They said people at the hospital, um, you know, that kind of stuff really, really helps in times like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting, kind of getting back to 
you know, what we served. Yes, um, that was that was from um, you know a collaborative effort of donations, people being very generous mm-hmm. and and saying, Glenn, what do you need? Um, I had Truebridge, Truebridge pork. Um, say, look, I've dealt with them for a few years now since they began, and they called me and said we have an order that went out and it got canceled. The truck will be back here Friday. What do you want? They had 55 cases of stuff. Wow. So I said, okay, I will take, uh, you know, when she gave me a list, I'll take these ribs. So I had Dan Watts from Cisco, one of their corporate chefs. who used to be one of my chefs de cuisine. He loves to barbecue. Dan, can you smoke me some ribs? Um, he didn't know he was going to smoke 40 slabs of this Friday night, but, <laughs> but he did it. He came through. Right. And then, you know, I had gotten pork, but, um, also from, uh, true bridge and, um, in a collaboration with John's Naturals, And, um, I knew Dan couldn't, I knew he didn't have the ability to be able to smoke the ribs and that. So Blaine, Hunter had reached out to me from Porky Butt said, do you need anything? So last minute Friday, I said, Blaine, can you smoke me a case of Pork Butt tonight? He said, yes, no problem. Wow. But then he went one, he went one step above and said, I said, I'll, what time are you going to be there till? You know, I'm, I'm still waiting up to get here. I'll get you the pork. He's like, don't worry about it. You keep that pork, case of Pork Butt, use it for something else. I will donate a case of pork butt for you and I'll get it smoked, pulled. It'll be ready by eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I went there at nine o'clock in the morning when I was getting going on Saturday. He had it all smoked, pulled in catering pans in a warming hot box for me. We loaded it in my vehicle and I was off. Um, and he also gave me a whole case of sanitizer wipes too so that we could make sure that you know everything was kosher mm-hmm. that's incredible so um and then you know jake gary from jacobson fish he called me he said glenn he said yellowfin tuna got fresh yellowfin tuna i have way too much i'd like to donate to the cause how much do you want so he ended up donating me 30 pounds of fresh elephant tuna. I turned one loin and I did something that I, I was jokingly said, I've never done this before. You know, I poached it, threw it in the oven and made tuna salad out of it. I turned it, <laughs> I turned this beautiful piece of tuna into uh, basically uh, canned tuna, but it was much more <laughs> than canned tuna. I guarantee but, it was still delicious. Know, it was, it was delicious. Um, so we made that for tuna salad. Then I took the rest and I said, you know what? I'm going to, I have a overabundance of, of lettuce and stuff. We're going to make Asian tuna salad. So I was just, I was just, as I would go through hour by hour, I would say, okay, we've got chicken. Also, you know, Jared, uh, Jared from, um, Timber and, uh, rail car. Mm-hmm. He donated, he donated, we went and picked up a bunch of stuff from his restaurant. Um, cheese and produce and chicken and all this stuff. So, you know, I had, so then I started making chicken Caesar salads. I know we're going to make, so we just had um, a hodgepodge of stuff, but, um, you know, it was, and then we made tons and tons of soup. We took different, we made asparagus soup, we made potato soup, we did French onion soup. So we were able to just, you know, put it out for the masses. And so then we started, I had some uh, other people involved that, uh, that had some other um, contacts that, that had contacted them. So uh, rehabilitation homes, women, women's shelters, and uh, a couple other items. So we ran stuff. We had volunteers to run stuff to here and there. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of used, we used, Spencer's uh, as a kind of a command center slash pantry slash soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. Just the, the so do it all hub. Out. It worked out. It worked out very well. Right. Um, 
we are trying to plan uh, something again for this Saturday um, at Dandelion. Um, Nick's trying to keep uh, keep that going as long as we're shut down with uh, feeding. Uh, we're going to try to feed you know the out of out of work industry people, get them a really good lunch. So we have some plans in the works. I just got off the phone with him before. I talked to you, and I also got off the phone with on a conference call with Jenny Warren from the Omaha Restaurant Association. Me and Matt Brown, who is currently the president, I'm the I'm the post past president. I just uh, I just ran my two year term up last year, so we were talking about ways that we can um, we're probably working on something for our fund to. Uh, to aid in the uh, industry people, the local industry people. Mm-hmm. That's still in the work, so I can't really talk too much about that. Fair but enough. We're working on something. Okay. Well, as more details come out, we'll be sure to, to tease that on social media and talk about that so we can, we can get the word out. Um, I promise we are not going to let coronavirus take over this entire conversation as it takes over everything else. But I do have one more question to ask um, regarded to this topic, and that's, just as someone who's involved in the restaurant industry, you really have seen how this thing, it really touches all parts of all parts of the industry. I think, you know, people from the outside, they might just see their favorite restaurant closed or all of a sudden, you know, they can't go dine in at their favorite restaurant and that frustrates them. But they don't understand all the different people that are affected and all the different ways those people are affected by this, by having less hours, by having less tips, by having closures, by having all this stuff. So this is a long winded way of me asking, but what can consumers do outside of just going out to eat? Is there anything consumers can do to help the restaurant industry right now? You know, I would say um, that the biggest thing is, is to, um, of course, like you said, support the guys that are open and doing um, curbside pickup. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. um, they 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 need that to just you know kind of keep afloat, keep the lights on. Um, gift cards, of course, are going to be a big help. And there's um, I'm seeing quite a few places that are. Um, they they are uh, starting up GoFundMe accounts, different different funds and stuff like that. I mean, monetarily, you sure could you know people could donate to those those kind of relief funds mm-hmm. that would sure help. Um, it's a, it's a dire situation right now, and it goes way far beyond if you you just start thinking about um, just the uh, the restaurant immediate restaurant people. You've got, you've got vendors, producers, um, especially, uh, specialized vendors, uh, producers, ranchers, what have you that, um, are used to selling just to restaurants and don't do retail. Um, they're all hurting extremely bad linen companies, Mm um, HVAC and refrigeration people are getting laid off because of all the closures of the bars and the restaurants. Um, you know, it's just, it goes on and on. You could go on and on about the effects that it has. Right. Right. So yeah, definitely anything that you can do people. And, and I think another thing is this just sounds so simple or so simple, excuse me, but if you go out to eat tip, well, um, oh, like, yeah. th- that's, that, that might seem like such a little thing to just tip maybe, you know, 30% versus 15 or 20%, or if you have the means tip more than that, because a lot of times it is those front of staff people who are the ones who they're getting less hours. They might not have health insurance. They're not on salary. If you can help them even just a little bit, that can go a long way if everybody pitches in. So just wanted to throw that one in there too. Um, and now, absolutely, yes, we are going to stop talking about coronavirus and we are going to focus on the career of Glenn Wheeler because it is it is very fascinating and I want to go all the way back to the beginning to where you started your career as a dishwasher. I want to know how do you start there and catch the cooking bug? Like what made you decide you wanted to be a chef and get into cooking? Well, I think the 
the I think the bug was planted way before then. Um, I, you know, as a young kid, I used to help my mom in the kitchen do different different things. You know, when she was cooking, help her prepare different things. Um, and then, you know, I just I always had a fascination, I guess, with it because as, as a young child, I would watch Julia Child on the French Chef on TV. Yeah. And, then, then uh, you know, copy down a recipe and ask my mom, could I try try something out if there was something, you know, easy enough for me to do at that point in time. Um, you know, and it went from there to, like, watching Justin Wilson with the Cajun cooking and mm-hmm. different shows on TV always kind of caught my mind, caught my uh, interest. And then um, also... Um, my dad, he had a worked for they had a cleaning cleaning business, um, and they used to clean restaurants and too, stuff too. So I was I would be in the restaurants and you know not working or anything, but just uh, you know seeing the cooks and different entities of the restaurant. I guess it just kind of got into my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then when I was, like, 15, I got a job washing dishes uh, officially at this restaurant in, in Michigan City, Indiana, which is uh, about 45, 50 minutes east of Chicago, right on the tip of Lake Michigan there. That's where I grew up at. And, uh, you know, we would do uh, – George, the head chef, he, we would do uh, prep for him during the afternoon before we got rolling with service, so – we were peeling shrimp and cutting eggplant sticks and breading them and all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got, kind of, uh, got introduced to it there. Um, and it just, it just kind of caught on with me. Mm-hmm. Now, as you grew up in the restaurant industry, you, you cooked all over the country. You were in new Orleans, you were in New York, Miami, LA, Minneapolis. I'm sure I'm missing a couple stops here or there. But then your brother ended up moving here in the 80s. Your mom eventually followed. And then you, in my, in my research, you described this as you moved to Omaha because you did what any good son would do. I love that quote. I think that's awesome. But at, at that time, when you moved here, which I believe was in 1994, did you have any idea, especially with all the movement you had early in your career, that this would be the place that you would end up setting roots? No, not at all. I uh, I really had no intention. I, I moved my mom out here um, mm-hmm. to be so she could be uh, closer to my brother, and um, I was actually planning because I was um, I'm actually I was born in Los Angeles. I moved as a very young child when I was like five to uh, the Northwest Indian Chicago Indian area. Um, I was either planning on that my thoughts at the time in 94 were going, trying to go back down to new Orleans or possibly going out to LA. But then I said, well, uh, you know, let me just apply for a job here or there, hang out here for a little while till my mom gets situated. And then that's where the, that's what, where the story began, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so one job, one job kind of led to another, led to another. Then I started building up my, my name more, and now it's 25 years later. Yeah, can you kind of break down that progression a little bit more? Because, you know, like I mentioned yeah. a couple minutes ago, you, you were very mobile early on in your career, but then when you got here, you still, you know, you said you moved from one job to another, but now it wasn't city to city. It was within Omaha. Was there anything that made you fall in love with Omaha or was it just kind of, it was convenient kind of what, what made that change for you? Um, I think I'd have to point to the fact that, um, it, it, it's got to be early on the connections that I made in the restaurant industry. Um, and, and back then, it sure was not nearly as strong as community as it is today. 
mm-hmm. um, nowhere, nowhere close. There were very few um, chefs that you really heard of. Um, no one really hung around each other too much. But I was lucky enough to kind of catch the bus. I mean, early on when I got down into the old market, um, there was there was a com- camaraderie uh, down there um, that I hadn't been around before. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, I made friends with other chefs. Um, industry people were everywhere. We all kind of hung out together and it made it a pretty nice, um, you know, uh, industry to, you know, be, be a part of mm-hmm. it, it just, uh, it, I think that's where it kind of caught on. And that's kind of what, um, was one of the major factors of me staying. And then as, like I said, as it went on, you know, I just, I wanted to keep moving up and it, I kept making moves up that, that, you know, that, uh, kind of fueled the passion. And then, um, that kind of led me to, you know, just the, the love of the Omaha restaurant community and becoming a bigger part of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be a leader as, yeah. as I went on. Yeah, so you mentioned that the restaurant community did not used to be nearly as connected as it is now. How have you seen it change over the years to where to the point where it's evolved where, you know, we can even tie this into what we were talking about earlier where where different restaurants are coordinating and working with one another in this time of crisis. I feel like there's and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's this tighter bond that maybe didn't exist before. How have you seen the restaurant community evolve here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was at first when I first entered, when I first was introduced basically in, in 94, um, you know, there was a lot of for yourself, not, you didn't, you didn't rely on any other restaurants. You didn't ask other restaurants for, uh, for help or, you know, things in a crisis or what have you. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there were some, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just wasn't as widespread as it is as, as it is now. A lot of, a lot of the way it's changed now is that some of the younger guys. So when, when I first entered in, you know, it was there, it was the kind of the leaders, um, the young school at that time would have been like me and Jeff Snow. He was the chef at French Cafe, now has catering creations, mm-hmm. um, catering company. Um, Joe Girardi at the time was, was doing, um, he was doing M's and Vivace, and there was John Haddam, and we were kind of the, Jerry Jenkins was at Vivace. Um, we kind of formed somewhat of a friendship and started, we kind of started off. And at that point in time, we were looking up to see that the old school chefs in town were Lionel Jave. Um, there was, um, oh shoot, mine went blank now. But so them guys we looked up to. We were kind of the young people. Well, then at that point in time, then we all started bringing up young cooks that were just coming in. You know, they're only 17, 18 years old. You know, we're in our late 20s and 30s. And those cooks are the Benny Maids of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Clayton Chapman's of the world. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. Um, so what happened was a lot of them guys um, left, and 
either some of them went up to school, some of them went out to California to work or what have you. They went to different places and worked with some really top-notch restaurants and top-notch chefs. And then they decided to come back and bring their talents back here. And that just fueled the scene more. Mm-hmm. And it's more widespread. And, and but the attitude is a lot different nowadays. I think um, everybody tries to look out for each other and they want everybody to succeed. And it's, it's just a really um, friendly atmosphere now. Um, and everybody gets along. When I say everybody, everybody doesn't get along. But yeah. For the most, uh, yes. For the most part, for the most part, um, I think it's it's uh, very good. Now I don't know if you feel comfortable tooting your own horn in in terms of that, but if you don't, I'm going to because I think you know you just mentioned a, a couple names there. I mean, you can you can really go down the list. There are so many people. One of the reasons that I was excited to do this interview is there are so many chefs and people that I've talked to who are like, oh yeah, Glenn Wheeler was one of my biggest mentors. He was, you know, a reason that I stayed in cooking or the reason that I got into cooking. Um, Just, I I guess, you know, as you were kind of coming up and you were kind of teaching some of these people and helping those bonds develop, what maybe made you feel like you had to take on that leadership mantle and help grow some of these great chefs? Like they clearly had greatness in them, but they needed someone to bring it out. And you were someone who helped them do that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you when <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of funny. Um, you know, early on, um, I'm glad a lot of them stuck with me and stuff. I mean, I, I was never like a big tyrant or anything, but I'm, I was sure a lot more, boisterous or what have you some um, tough love maybe tough love yeah, yeah. there you go there I, mean, I come from a big i come from a big sports, sports why you know i i played football and basketball and stuff and you know i'm used to the team atmosphere of the coach the stern coach and what have you mm-hmm. and you know it's it's got to be it's got to get done and it's got to be this way and it can't be you can't do it your own way or what have you, or, you know, laziness is definitely not part of the program. But, uh, I think, you know, I don't think that I always, when I was, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know that I was actually, uh, I, I don't know if I knew some of these guys were going to go on to where, I don't know if I had that in me that I could see it. Um, I, of course, on some, certain people, I knew. I'm like, this guy is going to be great someday. This guy, he gets it. He, he gets it. This guy doesn't get it. So I think early on, I didn't really know that um, what kind of impact I would have on him. I just tried to teach him what I knew, um, how I was taught, um, and everything wasn't the right way either. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I continuously, uh, continue to learn, um, every day, even now that I'm in my fifties, I still like to, uh, I, I read, I'm on the internet, I travel, what have you. Um, so I'm always learning, but yeah, I mean, it, it sure is a good feeling now to me as I look back to see, the success and the progression of so many cooks that worked with me. Um, you know, Colin Duggan at kitchen table. He adores you. He worked for a long time. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, make sure and help him through this. Uh, also we've been, been, uh, talking and, uh, having a lot of conversations lately. Mm -hmm. Um, but Colin worked with me for, Seven years, I want to say, probably at least. Danny Flores at Boiler Room. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's just a sponge. He's going to be greatness, greatness, greatness. We knew Benny Mays when he was 
16, 17, something like that. Mm-hmm. Just so starting I've seen, out. I've, I've seen Benny, uh, you know, his progression, he was, Benny was a know-it-all kid. You couldn't <laughs> tell anything. He thought he knew everything. And Benny is one of the best chefs in the city. He, he is, he went off to California. He, uh, honed his skills. Um, you know, these guys, they're great. Um, Antonio Soto is corporate chef for Guggenheimer at UP. Uh, he worked with me for a long time. Uh, he was my chef de cuisine. He was a cook for me when he was 18, 17, something like that. You know, these guys are in their 40s. You know, Victor Cabrales at, uh, at Stokes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was first, first person I hired when we opened up the Hilton downtown Liberty Tavern. Um, the, uh, you know, I've never, well, I, I shouldn't say that because I have worked with Jennifer Coco because when we had the same owners, when we were opening up Bombardia, um, she, was in, she was a chef at Flatiron. So I worked at Flatiron for a couple months developing the menu for while we were building Bombardia. So mm-hmm. me and Jennifer go way back. Um, she's a very good friend and an excellent chef and owner and human being and everything. You know, I just ate a J Coco last night. It was delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her, her chef de cuisine, um, Pedro Garcia, um, he came to me when he was 17 years old. Um, and worked for me for a long time, but not as long as he's worked for Jenny, but it, we have a little, uh, ongoing joke that he, she always says, you know, he, he says that you're his mentor. And I, I said, yeah, that's funny because he's worked for you for like, oh God, 15 years or something. He's worked <laughs> for me for six. Uh-huh. I, he, goes, he goes, he says he, he taught him everything he knows. And I, I just laughed. And I go, well, you know, that's not true, Jennifer. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I can't. I can't even think, but it is it's a good feeling to see these guys rise. The, the Kane Atkinson, Kane, 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 Kane started helping me do wine dinners when he was still in high school. Wow. And then I hired him. He was just out of high school, I believe. He was 18. Um, and Kane worked with me for a couple of years until he went to the boiler room and then he went off everywhere to uh, Europe and Japan and he's going to do great things um, eventually once he gets his place open um, and I can say I'm wholeheartedly glad that he hasn't gotten it open before this I would hate to see him open up to this mess that we're in now mm-hmm. in now um, yeah there's so there's something I guess there is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people out there I guess that I have touched and I don't yeah I don't like to uh, toot my own horn. Well, that is good to see. That's what I'm here for, Glenn. (laughs) I'm more than I'm more than willing to to give you the credit for. I mean, obviously, you know these these people had greatness within them, but you helped bring that out. Obviously, you know you just mentioned all these names. I'm sure that there are many, many more that we could go through. Um, And you know they're they're all individuals. These are not cookie cutters. They're not all the same, but as you kind of look back on some of their careers and how they started, do you see maybe some common characteristics or traits that you think helped them and really, you know, most people in the restaurant industry be successful? Um, I think the ones, I think most everybody that I mentioned and definitely the ones that are succeeding are ones that made they consciously made um, good decisions. And when I say that, they they went they they made decisions to um, further hone their craft, whether it be you know changing of jobs, what have you. 
and not necessarily, as we like to say, chasing the money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You get a lot. You get a, you get some some cooks that will say, "Okay, um, I really don't care what you've done or who you are." Um, this place over here is going to pay me seventeen dollars an hour, so I'm going over here to work. And that's your that's your prerogative. Um, I think most of these people that I mentioned have not done that. Have not necessarily chased the money per se. They've uh, they've, they've chased the will to learn um, and willing to put in the time uh, to learn. You can kind of uh, tell by individuals by working with them and being around them and seeing whether they, you know, whether they want to really become an industry leader, work on honing their craft or whether they're just doing it for a paycheck. Um, we all know everybody's got to make a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we try to take very good care of our cooks. Um, as well in all aspects but uh i think that that probably has more to do with it than anything though that they consciously made good decisions to choose learning over money Mm -hmm. for the most part yeah okay now, if there is someone who's listening to this right now who is aspiring to get in the restaurant industry or maybe they're just starting and, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to figure out what that path might look like for them, do you have any advice or maybe things that they should look out for as they, as they start their career? Yes. Um, I would say that... Um, Come in, come in with a, a blank slate and willing to learn everything that is taught to you. And you're not always going to, you're not always going to work in the ideal situation or for the ideal chef or kitchen manager, or what have you. Um, but I think that in the long run, you can take. I always said you take good things. And you also realize the bad things that you may learn and you kick out the bad things and you keep the good things, but you learn from, you learn from both. You know, I've worked for owners that were, that were not, they were, they were terrible. Uh, you know, they did a lot of things that, um, weren't right or didn't seem right to me, what have you. And, what I do is I learn from them, learn from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you try not to repeat, if you, if you know that they're doing something wrong, um, or not the right way, um, learn the right way. And then you just, like I said, you just learn from the good and learn from the bad, um, and retain the good and kick up, kick out the bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, that kind of will, you know, start you on your path. Um, you know, staging, which working for when I was early on, you know, I didn't, I didn't learn about staging for quite some time. I mean, till I was in my twenties, a lot of these kids nowadays have the option and the opportunities to, uh, go stage at when staging is, you know, working, for um in the kitchen usually for free mm-hmm. um just to learn um they have a lot of opportunities for staging nowadays which we didn't have when i was coming up uh i mean there was but i i wasn't really aware of it um at the time when i was coming up but definitely they can learn um and that's the biggest thing is learn all you can you don't necessarily have to go to school. Uh, we have a very good program at Metro Tech, um, very good uh, culinary program there. Um, but you know, on the on the job training is very important. Um, you know, with the internet, we didn't have the internet growing up. 
Um, I didn't, you didn't have the access to information and knowledge like you do nowadays. We had, we used to have to go, I have probably somewhere in the vicinity of five to 600 cookbooks in my collection. Wow. Um, I, I bought books. I bought books and read books. Uh Um, nowadays you can jump on the internet and just about find whatever you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, so the the opportunities are a lot different for the young cooks coming up today, but I, I mean, I definitely would stress just to learn, 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 learn. And, um, that will get you learning and the hard work will get you to the final goal. That's tremendous. Now, as we kind of wind down here, um, I want to I want to return to your career real quick. And I was I was doing mm-hmm. I was doing some research, reading some articles on you, and there was one that said it mentioned that while you were working for the Liberty Tavern at the downtown Hilton, you you cooked for presidents and other boldface names. And I'm reading this article, and I'm just like, you're just going to leave me at that. You're not going to tell me what president. You're not going to tell me like what other celebrities that he cooked for. Like, I want to know stories. I want to know names. So if I can just open the floor up to you, like what is your favorite story from cooking for someone famous? And like, what was that feeling like as you go and you set that plate in front of them and be like, well, I, I hope they like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So as far as, the president, it was uh, President uh, Bush, uh, George Bush, the um, senior. Bush, yeah, no, not senior. Oh, George W. <laughs> George George W. Okay. Um, and we actually we actually cooked for him twice. Uh, that was um, that was quite the quite the uh, task, uh, quite the experience. Especially the first time. The first time was much more uh, stricter as far as security. I mean, they had the Hilton completely surrounded with like Warner uh, trailers, and there was, they came in a week beforehand, and Secret Service set up command stations and the whole nine. And then we had the dogs, we had the dogs come through the kitchen, and the first time, um, we had secret service actually sitting at the kitchen doors with their guns. Oh, and, uh, and then we had, um, the, the, uh, porters that worked with us, the, uh, secret service, they were, um, all kind of Navy, uh, retired Navy, what have you. Um, you know, they just kind of watched us cook. They wanted to make sure, you know, we couldn't take anything out of an open container. If you got milk or what have you, or cream, or heavy cream or what have you, um, everything, they just watched to make sure it came out of a, uh, unopened container, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time I think is because he had been here w- once before. This was, uh, I, I, I want to say it was one or two years apart, um, in the visit. Um, first one I want to say would probably was 95, 90, yeah, somewhere 95. Then, um, I think it was either close to two years apart. Second visit, um, they were much more, there was the security, uh, wasn't at the doors in the kitchen and stuff. They were, I mean, it was still pretty tight, but not as, not as tight. Um, as far as the celebrity stuff, Probably one of the best stories I could tell was when the Rolling Stones stayed here and mm-hmm. uh, they, they did a concert. Then they stayed at the Hilton for a whole week awaiting going to Detroit to do the Super Bowl. Wow. So we kept the kitchen open 24 hours a day. Somebody had to be there on call. They had the top... Um, top two floors of the Hilton. So it, in, it was, it was very, it was very a tale of two, two worlds. Whereas I had to get all organic stuff for Mick Jagger. Um, everything was, he was very, very health conscious about what he ate. And then on the writer for Keith Richards, 
uh, Keith Richards got, I'll tell you what food he got each day. I'm not going <laughs> to mention the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he wanted, um, he wanted grilled chicken breast on white bread wrapped in a clear plastic, uh, you know, cellophane, uh-huh. um, with sides of mustard and mayonnaise packages, like four sandwiches every day we made for Keith Richards. Um, that is so random. That, that was he got, he got quite a, quite a bit of, of uh, booze and cigarettes too, but <laughs> yeah, I can imagine <laughs> delivered to him each day. And, uh, you know, it was kind of cool when they brought them out. They actually, they brought them out through the kitchen, through the back way to go over when they left. And, uh, you know, we got to, got to see them, you know, say hi to them, what have you. No, I, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I, continue your story. I was going to ask another question, but you were, you're still going and I'm not going to stop oh. a good story. That would be a crime. Yeah. Um, I guess, and the other, probably the other one, um, well, there's two other ones, cooked, uh, cooked for Eric Clapton, which I still hang, I, in the chef's area down at Spencer's, uh, in the, uh, the chef's table, I have a plaque with the menu and that he signed for me and stuff, uh-huh. um, hanging down there. He, he was extremely nice. We, we had some good talks over lunch. Um, so I got to learn quite a bit about him and I was a big fan too. So, and he gave me uh front row tickets to the concert too. So that was a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably the other, the, probably the biggest meal that I was part of was when uh, time magazine, a lot of people don't know this, but when time magazine named, Bill and Melinda Gates and Bono co-people of the year. They film, they, um, they did that photo shoot and everything at the Hilton up in a private, private room with, so dinner consisted of, dinner consisted of, uh, Warren and Susie Buffett, Bill and Melinda Gates and Bono. (laughs) So that probably was the big power meal that I've ever cooked. Uh huh. So especially like early, early on, like as your first serving, you know, quote unquote famous people, like, you know, obviously the names that you've mentioned are huge. When you're putting together a meal, when you're cooking and then putting it in front of them, like, what is that feeling like? Just, I, I mean, I assume, I assume it's like a collection of just complete nervousness. There's some excitement that they might really like it. Like, what is that like? Well, of course you want them to like it. Um, I think early on, it was definitely, there'd be a lot of nervousness. Um, but I mean, over the years, you kind of get a little bit immune to that and not, you know, you just want to put out the best thing that, you know, what they're expecting and, um, you know, even, even actually exceed their, exceed their expectations, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but you want to make sure that, you know, everything's, everything's, you know, the best that it can be. I actually get, uh, more nervous cooking for chefs than I do. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause they have a better palate. Yeah. Especially, I mean, chefs, I mean, like, especially when I have, like, people that I've looked up to, uh, you know, I mean, Rick Tremato and Gail Gann were a big influence for me in Chicago. Um, they had True Restaurant, um, ate there many times, um, actually did a benefit here in Omaha back in the day with Gail, and uh, they were part of... Uh, chef's tour with certified Angus beef a couple years ago it came to Spencer's and I was you know I was uh I was terrified I was super happy that they had got to come to my restaurant finally but uh I was I was definitely on pins and needles about making sure everything was (laughs) yeah I'm sure uh, up to their liking uh so yeah you know um 
there's, you know, when those, when those celebrity chefs come or, uh, professionals in the industry, especially if they're somebody that you looked up to or were part of, you know, being a big influence on you, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's when I get super nervous, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Ludo, Ludo Lefebvre and his wife, Christy came, came in, uh, when they were filming the, their pop-up show over, uh, uh, little pop-up show over the United States, they came in for dinner, you know, I'm like, man, what are we going to serve Ludo Lefebvre? You know, I yeah. mean, like, I was just, you know, like super nervous, super nervous. Uh-huh. But, you know, they're just, they're just like, uh, just like anybody else, you know, they're, they're down to earth and friendly and, uh, you know, just great people. So, mm-hmm. Now, uh, yeah, um, Glenn, I have taken far much or far too much of your time here. I'm definitely gonna gonna let you go, but I have to ask one last question because you've been in this industry for such a long time. You have so many accolades. We just talked about all the great people you've served, about some of the great chefs that you've helped bring up and establish. Just what is your favorite part of it of being a chef? What has kept you in this? industry and in this business, one that can be so tough, so cutthroat, you know, so difficult at times, what has kept you in it for so long? Um, the, the, you know, that's, a, that's a, probably a tenfold question, but it's <laughs> pretty much the, uh, the, the, the love, the love of it. I mean, I just, um, at looking back and, oh yeah, there is definitely, there's some, of times there's there's nights you have that you just say why did I ever choose this career but then you come back with you know you see 250 people you know a, a flawless service you see all your cooks you know just working as hard as they can for you and when they you know get done everybody's just smiling and happy um, you know, that's great. It's gratifying. It's gratifying to see, uh, you know, the guests happy, you know, what it all boils down to is the hospitality industry. So it's being hospitable. Um, and I, that's the part that I love the most. Um, I love the, the people, um, for the, for the most part, um, over the 30, Five thirty-seven years I've been cooking, especially the last, especially in, in the Omaha, uh, the last twenty-five years. I've I've been fortunate enough to have some great, great crews, mm-hmm. uh, staff that uh, you know a lot of them. You know, I, I I call them friends. It doesn't always work out. Doesn't ever. No, not everybody likes me, um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have had some really, really good people work with me. And I guess, you know, that's a big part of what, what keeps me going is, uh, you know, the staffs and, you know, I've got, we've got great owners at Spencer's for Steaks and Chops and, um, you know, it's a family run, uh, really close knit, um, operation. You know, I've got people there that I've worked with for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, that's the longest job that I have. Definitely, that's the longest I've ever been anywhere in 10 years. <laughs> well, congrats. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the uh, 10 years, uh, April 21st, actually, so next month. Well, we look forward to that that decade anniversary, um, Glenn. This has been such a pleasure today. I mean, I could I could probably pick your brain for three or four hours um, if if we had the time, but I'm definitely going to respect your time more than that. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. No problem, and I'll tell you when we get back and get over this uh, and get back up and running. Well, definitely we'll love to see you down for dinner. You and your wife come down and then we'll, uh, we'll show you what we do. That would be my genuine pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Wheeler, um, Spencer's get down there. Once this whole nasty coronavirus situation is taken care of, you can go experience some great steaks, some great 
just all kinds of great food there. It's not just steak. Um, but yeah, until then, we're just gonna keep this thing rolling, keep having more interviews, and Omaha, thanks for eating with me. A Parkville Media Production.